0: Every aspect of your e-commerce business impacts customer experience. From advertising and packaging, to product functionality, website usability, and even reliability. Your long-term growth and profitability will hinge on your ability to deliver the best experience for your buyers, and this podcast will show you how. Tune in monthly for actionable and insightful discussions with the brightest minds at the intersection of e-commerce and customer experience. Welcome to the e-commerce customer experience podcast presented by Digital Genius. I'm your host, Chris Kellner. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the e-commerce customer experience podcast. On our previous episode, we had the privilege of hosting Danielle Anderson, who shared valuable insights about customer support and her journey in the industry. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with a brand specialist, marketing specialist, business leader, mentor and public speaker who has built her passion for brand purpose on the back of her career. Please join me in welcoming Larissa, Head of Marketing and Head of Digital for Dorothy Perkins, Burton's and Wallace Groups at Boohoo, an e-commerce fashion brand, one of the leaders here in the UK. Welcome to the show, Larissa.
1: Thank you very much. Very, very excited about this opportunity. And um, yeah, looking forward to our chat. Hopefully, uh, your listeners are going to find it very interesting.
0: Indeed. I'd love you just to get started and tell us a little about your journey and, and how you got to where you are today.
1: Yeah, well, it's been, it seems like a lifetime ago now. So I actually came to London to do my master's degrees in, guess what, marketing. (laughs) And I didn't want to stay, but then I got a job straight away, actually doing um, PPC for Microsoft, which was quite funny. So I started my career in in PPC and then I never left London. So I never went back home. I'm originally from, from Romania. So then from PPC, I moved on to various different roles, having exposure, agency side mostly on all sorts of digital channels so from display to social to to search seo uh pitching for new business as well so i kind of been to most of the agencies out there from the big ones to the small ones some career highlights so i don't know if people uh, remember google chromecast which is kind of the uh, grandfather of netflix so it was content on demand a little stick you would plug into your tv so i actually launched that in um, in western europe uh, which was quite a big task back then to manage that launch campaign for google it was it was really challenging but also really nice and then huawei when no one knew anything about Huawei in Western Europe, again, I was at Maxis and we launched Huawei in, in Western Europe, uh, as we know it today. So very exciting. And then uh, I moved uh, So the past two roles, client side. So I did gambling, uh, previous role at Entain, uh, Party Casino, and now I'm Vuhu Group, uh, looking after the three brands, the X-Arcadia, as some people like to call them, X-Arcadia brands, Dorothy Perkins, Burton and Wallace. So that's me in a nutshell. Sorry if I've taken too long on that.
0: <laughs> no, no, that's very helpful. And I have to admit myself, I am, a, I am actually an owner of a Google Chrome ChromeCast. Probably up to about a year ago, I was still using it. Wow. That's probably not, not something to show off about. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Lucy, you've been with Boohoo, and I, I guess about a year. You know what? What kind of attracted you to to working there in the first place?
1: So first of all, obviously fashion industry is is a very interesting sector in itself because it's exceptionally competitive. And also, you know, with the pandemic, lots of things have changed around fashion and how people are shopping habits, uh, interest, et cetera, et cetera. So just the, uh, the, the sector itself. I was always, I always wanted to work in fashion. So, you know, with this opportunity, uh, when this opportunity arrived, it's like, yes, absolutely. But then the company itself, again, it's a really big company. However, it does feel like, it's a close-knit community given the, the ways of working and how brands cooperate and catch up with each other and kind of help each other out and how involved the owners are in the day-to-day. So yeah, it's it's been a roller coaster to be honest with you. It's been very tough because of, uh, you know, the current circumstances and us thinking that, oh, we're out of the um, pandemic and now, you know, life will carry on and everything will be okay. But nope, not really. We jumped straight into a, an economic crisis and, you know, all sorts of other issues, which we're probably going to touch on today. So it's been very, very challenging, but it's been a very interesting experience for me because with these three brands, there was a lot of, it was literally like a blank page. And I was lucky enough to be given the chance from senior management to kind of take leads on strategy, create brand new strategies for each one of them and kind of lead with that strategy. So product and uh, e-commerce can adhere to that strategy. Uh, So all of us work towards the same goal. So I think that was the first thing that I did. Which was great because it kind of set up a, a goal for all of us and the direction. And then we kind of, we were sure that we were doing the right thing because it was very well informed with data, first party data. But we also ran customer focus groups and everything was, was based on, on numbers and, and facts rather than gut feeling. So yeah, it's been quite a journey. And then obviously implementing that strategy and kind of dealing with the ongoing issues in in fashion and trying to stay ahead of the curve and, you know, trying to compete with everyone else, especially with foreign companies. Sheen, as we know, that's fashion (laughs) 2.0. That's the lesson every day. We'll probably, uh, I'm going to probably mention this name again. Um, But yeah, it's very challenging. That's what I can say. But I think I've learned a lot. So it's been a a very interesting personal journey as well and, and learning curve.
0: It's really interesting. I think, you, you know, you touched on, on many interesting points there, but the current economic environment that we're in is not a particularly positive one. Unfortunately, out there, you know, being in a re- coming out of a recession, retail margins squeezed, lots of competition. Um, you know, given your role, you know, what are your key priorities right now as you kind of manage the, the, the headwind that we're, that we're currently working through?
1: So I think the biggest, the biggest priority is hitting the targets, right? Because I think with all fashion companies and most of the companies out there. Targets have been revised and re-revised and revised again and revised yet again. So I think it's it's hitting targets and maintaining whilst trying to maintain a decent brand presence because as everybody knows, when there's a recession, marketing budgets are getting cut. And guess what? It's not the performance budget, it's always the brand budget. I'm sure we will touch on this today as well, but I'm a big believer in in spending um, during recession and I will explain why in a bit. But I think that the main priority is hitting targets uh, and maintaining that brand presence. So trying to be as effective as possible with the um with the, with the current budgets and continuous to be creative in terms of ways of organic growth. So really really focus on organic growth because there's so much you can do and again I will touch on a few tactics that we deployed and they really really helped us and maintaining maintaining brand presence because you know paid media is very expensive it's getting more and more expensive. Budgets are cut. Consumers, again, are wanting to pay very little or, you know, always have offers on. So it's it's very difficult to juggle. It's a walk-a-mole game, right? It's like, <laughs> what are you trying to do there? Like, yeah, keep keep a balancing act amongst all these things. So, yeah.
0: yeah that's interesting. And I'd love to, I think for a lot of our listeners are probably going through feeling kind of similar squeezes right now. You mentioned organic growth. Everyone wants organic growth. You know, talk to us about maybe some of the initiatives that you're, pushing right now to help with organic growth?
1: Yeah, so I think the biggest number one thing that I would recommend to everyone is to grow their uh, mobile app. So... It's the easiest thing that you can do that would give you the highest return on investment from all the channels. And it's not me saying that for Doherty, Perkins, Burton and Wallace. It's been numerous studies, which I'm not going to quote now. I'm not going to give people numbers because that's not going to be remembered. But it's the easiest channel to kind of grow organically. Obviously, you can do paid advertising. We decided not to. So we went only for organic growth for our mobile app. Just a couple of numbers from my side. So we have grown 15% year on year, which is really big for mobile app. We were very low on kind of uh, usage of mobile app across all three brands. And now we're getting stronger and stronger. The users who are in app are spending seven times more. Than the users who don't have the app, so that says it all. And it's and not even mentioning the brand engagement, you know, the time spent with the app, and you know, people uh, engaging with the brand. That's uh, that's a, th- there's different metrics that again are really encouraging. But yeah, so I would I would brand through app growing the app organically. So that's you know, with any partners you want to work, there's millions of partners out there. Use deep linking, use QR codes, and then you can bring people. On your mobile app from everywhere, from email, from social, from organic social, from PPC, from um, ASO, from out of home, from magazines, you name it, you can do it. You can drive people to the app through everything and anything, even from labels, right? You can have a QR code on the label and you can get people to download the app so that's that's number 1 i would say and as i mentioned really high return on investment and there's there's no need to spend any money apart from obviously paying the partner to do that deep linking because otherwise you won't be able to track and if you can't track it's really hard to justify right but if you can track and you can see the progress then that's fantastic and then the second thing i would say is seo again organic search right get your get your seo in order get your websites mobile websites, your app, to run, to have an amazing customer experience, to run fast, you know, the, the three areas of SEO. So on-page optimization, keywords, and then content. So the out. hire a team. We invested in hiring a team and having um, dedicated SEO teams for the brands. It made a huge difference. It's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take a few months. But once you start it, it's like Titanic. Once you start turning... My gosh, you're gonna you're gonna see the impact. So yeah, I would say this: if you do something, anything, do app and SEO.
0: Interesting. And I'm interested to learn. You know, I guess through the different brands, the Boohoo group, I guess you have a lot of different types of customers. You know, have you seen similar uptake on kind of the strategy of getting people on board on the app across all the brands that you work with?
1: No, so because of obviously Boohoo. Buhu's budget is incredible versus ours, because obviously Buhu is selling a lot more than Dorothy Perkins, Wallace and Burton. They can afford to invest more in paid. Now, I don't have anything against paid, but I think there's so much you can do with organic first before jumping onto paid. And paid is, is a lot more expensive than it used to be. There's a lot of fraud. So you've got to be very careful with paid in terms of what your metrics are. And also, I would say that it's really crucial for paid to kind of make sure that it's not just the cost per install because that's where you're going to start bleeding money. It's literally the lifetime value. It's go further and look at, you know, second transaction or third transaction or the average basket value or... This sort of tr- these sort of metrics that are beyond this cost per install, which m- a lot of people are obsessed with, and I don't really understand why. It's like the views or whatever, these fluffy metrics which are absolutely useless. So I would say they're different within Boohoo Group because other brands have got bigger budgets, so they can afford to do all the organic bid, but also invest in some paid. And also have the tracking with it to understand the impact. But apart from that, I think we're all on the same page in terms of what we're doing organically. Obviously, the other brands in the group are a bit more advanced in terms of for how long they've been doing it and it paid off. And also their audience base, which is huge compared to the three brands. Uh, if you think, you know, pretty little things, right? <laughs> That's massive. It's, uh, it's of absolutely course. massive. So Boohoo, yeah. Boohoo Man and pretty little things are absolutely massive versus the brands I'm after. I'm looking after
0: interesting and i've been reading many experts in kind of the retail e-commerce field today all really talking about customer experience and how that can help brands weather the economic storm you know what are your thoughts on how customer experience can really kind of transition business performance today
1: yeah absolutely so i think i'm amazed and here i'm putting my customer hat on i'm amazed how many brands i have got Horrendous mobile websites, and to be honest, I do not remember when it was the last time when I ordered anything from a laptop or from any other device than than that is not a mobile phone. So, and we we are all like that. We live we live on the phones. Our life is on the phones. Everything is around our phones, right? So. And I still don't understand how is it possible that so many brands do not have a properly optimized and an amazing uh, customer experience, a mobile page or app even, you know, crashes, not responding, that sort of thing. So it's kind of start with the basics, right? Don't even get, wow, super, super sophisticated. Start with the basics and kind of get your, you know, your side speed, your the easiness of checkout, deep linking. So, you know, if you... If you've taken someone from email, right, uh, make sure that they land on the same page. They don't, they're not taken to the homepage, right, when they land on mobile app. Like this is absolute hygiene factors, right? But I would say from from the brands, and I buy a lot of things from all sorts of brands, I think that over 70% of the brands I'm interacting with on mobile do not have a perfect customer experience at a basic level which is pretty insane and very concerning. And that's where, you know, people are losing, businesses are losing a lot of money because consumers do not have time to play around. You know, if something's not working, I'm just going to move on somewhere else because there's so, so much. Check out the experience as well. Just make it nice and easy. You know, people don't have time these days. It's it's so easy to get the basics right and it, it makes such a huge difference. And then You can start getting sophisticated with, you know, suggestions and things like that. I was so pleasantly surprised. I'm buying a lot of house stuff because we just move house. And, um, I was on Wayfair and funnily enough, I was buying a toilet, exciting. But then they told me that 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 toilet didn't have, um, one of the accessories. I would have didn't, I wouldn't have had any idea. And imagine if I would have received it and wanted to put it on and it was missing a bit, I would have gotten very angry and very unhappy. But then they suggested it at checkout that you should buy that, that and that. And then I was like, you know what? I just don't have time to kind of go on Google and search for a price. I'm just going to add it all in the basket and have done with it. How awesome is that, right? And then based on that suggestion, they were like, based on my purchase, then they suggested further things. It's like, oh, that's actually quite cool. And it goes with that. So, yeah, you can get very sophisticated, but I think get the basics right, which a lot of brands don't.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, being a consumer myself, I think you see it every day. The majority of brands out there offer a pretty poor experience to their customers. And I think maybe they're scared by the mobile app because they're not even doing the basics right. So how could they even think about a mobile app?
1: A hundred percent, yeah.
0: And how do you think, you know, with a consumer engaging in a mobile app, how do you balance kind of delivering, say, a personalized experience to that consumer versus kind of introducing things like generative AI and and automation?
1: So I think you can definitely combine the two. You can actually like tap into the power of AI to kind of deliver the most amazing personalized experiences. Um, And I think that personalized experiences, but also just being careful about your whole, because for example, I was buying something for my husband. I was buying a shirt and I looked at it and I looked at it and then finally I bought it. And then like a day later, they send me an email with that shirt. It's like, oh, there's 10% off or whatever. And I, was, I got so crossed. I'm like, hold on, how is this possible? I just bought this shirt and the day after you're sending me a 10% code for that shirt. Like, this is outrageous. And I literally, I didn't even open it and I returned it. I'm like, I'm too angry with this brand to, to even like, I can look for a shirt somewhere else. But you know, these sort of things, right? This is basic. Like you can't, that's not acceptable. Right. Just get your ducks in a row and make sure that your CRM database, it's it's working and up to speed. And, you you know, when someone's bought something, don't send follow up communications if someone's bought something and these sort of things. But in terms of yeah personalization, I think this is huge for me because I don't usually buy anything like I don't like ads online, funny enough. Right. So I'm looking after digital, but I don't like ads online because they are so generic. Whereas if I do get a personalized thing and like, you know, you can tell that the brand knows who I am and what I'm after, then I'll definitely convert. And it was a very nice uh, example that I was looking. I was looking for a nail polish for from Chanel, which is you a know, very girly topic. I appreciate that. And I, I, was, I, I saw it in a magazine, funnily enough. So talking about user journeys and how complex they are these days. So I saw it in a magazine. And then I went online to check it. I went on Chanel's website to see the shade. I loved it. And then I searched for it in shopping to see who's got the best price. And then I got, I can't remember which website it was. They had an offer and it was slightly cheaper. And then I forgot about it. I had a call or something and forgot completely about the the nail polish. But then I got an ad uh, on Instagram with that nail polish with the offer and uh, suggesting that if I buy another one, they'll give me. And I was like, oh, hello. This is really nice I'm actually going to click and buy uh, which I don't usually do that because obviously I know that that's a <laughs> conversion for for meta not giving them the credit so yeah so that sort of you know that but imagine it 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 started off from a magazine and it ended up on social media because I was prompted from a from an ad which was actually super personalized and and linked to my search and that's what I call a great user journey and a great experience so i think that yeah definitely personalization is is key and that's what customers want these days right but then at the same time when when you want to do brand awareness and you want you know you've got a new brand and you want to spread the the word uh, out there it can't be that personalized right so and also with the with the whole privacy issues at the moment it's got to be more contextual but again i think you can make the most of context to kind of personalize it as much as possible but that you know personalization doesn't mean that brand awareness like more generic ads uh, are dead not at all but it's more around how clever you are with context and where you put your brand and how people are associating the brand with the with the environment it's in basically
0: Yeah, it's it's always a fine balance between delivering uh, a high quality personalized experience versus balancing what actually you can do and what you can automate so, Larissa, we, we couldn't help but have you on and, and see, you know, in your time, you, you've written a number of really fascinating books. And I was having a look, I guess, your last book, A Brand's Purpose, discusses brand's purpose and its critical, important to society. Larissa, tell us a bit more about that.
1: Cool. Yeah. Uh, thank you for the opportunity. So, uh, first of all, so I started, I, I wrote it during the pandemic. And it, it came from the fact that So, the the, the title is A Brand's Purpose less unicorn more zebra it's very intriguing and people are like what's what's with the zebra what are you talking about <laughs> it's like a zoo or something it's like no no so i think the title is quite intriguing because it invites people to understand what's with the what's with the zebra uh, obviously everyone knows what the unicorn business is but not many people know what's a zebra business a zebra business just to kind of give you a bit of flavor is a business that puts community environment or a higher purpose at the heart of the business. So it's not making money, it's actually a good, doing something good. And that's obviously very different from a unicorn business, which is very much about making money very fast, no matter what it takes. So yeah, so it started, I wrote in the pandemic and basically it started from my desire to kind of make marketeers aware, but not just marketeers, consumers in general, about the difference between true brand purpose and literally just brands refitting that in order to make more money uh, there's been a lot of greenwashing. There's been a lot of cases where, you know, brands have put a slogan on a T-shirt. And it's like, oh yeah, we are doing our bit for the environment or society or whatever. Well, that's not brand purpose. So it kind of, it explains what brand purpose is, how it should be applied. And then uh, examples of that. There are chapters that, that show examples of good brands that are actually profitable. They can make money whilst doing something good for the society or for the environment. And then a chapter that shows shows brands that are just leveraging this term, brand purpose, to make money. And that's it. So in terms of what it is, brand purpose, um, it shouldn't be connected with anything financial. Uh, it's kind of the north star of a business uh, and is a guiding point for everyone in the business to achieve that. And it's not to hit 1 million dollars in the first year in profit it's not to grow by 10% year on year is is none of this so brand purpose is something that you know you you created the business to change something right so take Tom's shoes, right? They created the business because they wanted to give the children in Africa shoes. So the owners went to Africa, visited either Carmen which country, and they were absolutely horrified to see how, like most of the children didn't have any shoes. They were just walking bare feet. So... They decided that they want to create this brand that will give for every pair. We all know the story. And that's why they were created. And now, you know, they make a lot of money. Patagonia was the same. So like there's many, many, many examples and these brands were our purposeful brands and they were created for a good cause, but they are also, they are being very profitable and they're making lots of money. So that's that in a, in a kind of a nutshell. Yeah, it's very interesting, and it kind of helps marketeers who have are working on brands that do not have a brand purpose to kind of retrofit the brand purpose. Uh, I also ran some interviews uh, with um, a few people from the industry to get their views uh, on a few questions. So yeah, it's a it's a very rich book. Uh, it's very interesting, and also with every sale, a tree is planted. So I'm not making any profit from that. It's all going towards planting trees with forest without frontier so itself the book itself is for a good purpose if you like you can find it on amazon in um, e-copy and then on blurb uh, hard copy there you go <laughs> oh, that's
0: so cool i love that story so lucia as we look to the future you know what are you know, thinking maybe a few years out in, in in the world of fashion you know what are the the technologies which really kind of excite you
1: yeah, so I think inclusivity. So um, people of all types and forms and shapes and backgrounds and colours and everything, they would be able to kind of enjoy fashion as much as everyone else does. So uh, disabled people being able to try on different outfits, things like that. So inclusivity, so th- leveraging technology to make fashion inclusive for everyone. I think that's something that's, you know, that's that's really, really important. And to kind of get nice outfits to, to be able to feel every body shape, right? Not just tall, skinny, blonde girls. Yeah. So I would say that that's what gets me really, really excited, but also the change, which is uh, start happening in terms of finding ways of being better with the environment, because we all know that fashion is one of the biggest contributors to, you know, uh, CO2, but also the waste in the world, etc. So finding technologies that allow us to reuse what we have, because we have so much, and then giving, you know, the new talent opportunities to come up with like great ideas. Also, I think uh, this idea of uh, having um, dresses and outfits in the metaverse and not buying physically, anymore i think again it's a great way of like still pushing consumerism if you like but without the physical product which is which is really really interesting i actually own a, a dress uh in the metaverse which is quite funny but it's exciting right so uh, you can use it you can put it on um, you can use it on like um instagram as well to kind of change your outfits depending on where you've been so you don't actually have to have five dresses when you go on holiday You can just uh, have five virtual dresses and change them and then post on Instagram, which is, you know, better for your pocket, but also for the environment. Uh, So, yeah, these sort of things, they they really, really excite me. And I really hope that they are going to go ahead and kind of manifest themselves into something useful.
0: That's really cool. I've seen some of those things myself actually on Instagram. And I think that really is the future. And yeah. it's the future of of the of the world of fashion. So I think it's really cool. It'll be really interesting to see how that emerges over the next few years. Um so Lucy, to conclude today, I'd love to ask you just one final question that we always ask everyone that comes on this podcast. And I think I'm really excited for your for your answer here. You know, what would you say is a brand that you really admire and, and why?
1: Hmm, that's a very tough question. There's loads of brands that I admire, but just for the purpose of, you know, timekeeping, I would say Disney. So Disney because they've done an incredible job launching Disney Plus during the pandemic when the plans were completely different. So just that flexibility, agility to change, you know, booking um 5,000 out-of-home sites and cinemas and then having to redo all of that into just online. It, it was just incredible what they did. Very, very clever, but also how they bring the physical world together with the digital world. I think that's, again pretty mind-blowing. When you've got your bracelet, when you go to any Disney sites and you get that VIP treatment, that that, that, everything is there for you. It's just so clever and exciting. And the content they're doing on on Disney Plus and how they are promoting it, taking advantage of geolocation app, like all the technologies out there, connected TV is just so well integrated and it's so well done and well thought. Yeah, they do have my complete admiration. (laughs)
0: Okay, that's true. Well, Nostrid, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This has been such an interesting conversation, and we hope to welcome you back soon.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for having me.
0: The e commerce customer experience podcast is brought to you by Digital Genius. Digital Genius uses cutting edge AI technology to streamline response times for support tickets platform allows for flexible integration into existing systems and control over your processes while significantly improving key performance metrics to find out more about digital genius and how our intuitive platform combines ai integrations and workflows to make your customers team and mailbox happy head to digitalgenius.com also make sure to search for e-commerce customer experience in apple Podcasts, spotify and google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found On behalf of the team here at Digital Genius, thank you for listening.